can kind of catch up as we go. Um, but as you turn there, uh, I was just going to share a couple things with you. I, last, last night, my phone started uh, buzzing a few times. I'm like, oh, that's not good. When my phone buzzes on a Saturday night or Sunday morning, it's not a good thing because um, that usually means multiple people that are, have roles to do at the church, something's come up. And so uh, my, my phone was buzzing, and, and sure enough, it was, it was people that were sick and people that were not going to be able to be here today, uh, out of town, just different things. And uh, so it, and it continued this morning. So I'm, I'm glad that you're here. That means that either you're not sick, which is awesome, or you are sick and you're still here, and we're glad to have you. So either way, um, I know some people that are sick, so just be be uh, praying for them. I know a lot of your families are sick, so be praying uh, for them to feel better. There's some nasty stuff going around. So, um, but but also this past week, um, one one thing I've always said, and I've I've kind of tried to share from my heart a little bit. From the time we we launched uh, Connect Church in I guess 2012, um, I knew that uh, I would never, and I and I I can say that with real confidence because I've heard some great speakers and preachers. I will never be the best speaker, the best preacher, and that's not even really my goal. Uh, but one thing that I can be is to be genuine with you and be authentic with you, and um, and that's what I've always strived to do in in my role here. And so, um, if you're here to hear the best speaker or the greatest teacher, you're 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 going to be very disappointed. Um, there's a lot of good teachers, a lot of good preachers out there that are light years beyond me, but. But what I try to do is just be authentic and be what, what God's called me to be in, in this role as, as your pastor. And, and some, sometimes that comes across as, like, good and positive, and sometimes it, it doesn't. And, you know, I have no, no way to control how you may perceive it, but I do know what I, what I do control, and that's my obedience to what God's called me to be. And that's, like I said, to be as real and genuine as, as possible. And at, at Connect Church, we don't typically... Um, dive into every little detail of of our culture that is going on around us on a daily or, or weekly basis, and and we do that intentionally. And I know a, a lot of churches, and I've been in churches, and I've seen messages from other churches where, you know, whatever the the hot topic of the week was in the culture, that's sometimes what is discussed or taught on that week from the the pulpit. And that's not that's not our goal. It's never been my goal to do that. Uh, and the main reason that we don't do that is because we don't want our goal is not to be guided and, and directed by the culture, but instead to let the Word of God serve as the foundation of our lives. And so that's why when we, we preach and teach here, 99% of the time it's a book of the Bible and it's verse by verse and it's chapter by chapter. That is our foundation. It's, it's not so much the culture around us. But having said that, we all live in the culture. And we are a part of the culture as long as we're here on, on this earth. And so I think sometimes culture needs to be highlighted uh, and discussed at times, and, and we do that. And for me, this past week was, was one of those times. Um, as most of you know about me, uh, I'm, I'm a huge sports fanatic. And uh, I grew up with sports all around me. And my kids grow up with sports now, and I, I coach, and I like to play, and I love all that stuff. And so, you know, I've, I've coached and from kindergartners to, to, to college kids, and so I, I love it. And I, I, that's my main form of, I guess you call, like, 
checkout mode. Everybody has a checkout mode, right? And so you may watch movies or you may read books or you may whatever, and it's kind of like you're just your getaway mode. And for me, that's it has always been sports. And uh, I just I enjoy them. And, and so it's, it's a you know, massive form of, I guess, entertainment. Uh, and also just enjoying the relationships you build through, through those, um, those teams and being a part of those kids' lives and whatever it might be. But regardless of your own interest level in sports, you may love them, you may hate them. And I'm not talking about sports today because it's Super Bowl Sunday. I know that's a big cultural event. And uh, people get together, you know, and, and a lot of people get together on Super Bowl Sunday and they, they don't have an interest at all in football. They just get together to hang out with friends. And I think that's, that's awesome. But unless you, you know, have, you don't watch any news or you don't read any news headlines, you, you probably heard uh, about the incredibly tragic accident that occurred last Sunday morning in California when a helicopter that was carrying uh, former L.A. Lakers basketball superstar Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter Gianna, along with seven other passengers, that, that helicopter crashed and it tragically killed all nine people on board, three of those which were 13, 14-year-old girls who were teammates, played together on Kobe Bryant's daughter's team that Kobe coached. And I know most of you have heard the story, you've seen the news, and uh, the, the nine victims there are on the left, you can see pictures of them, and Kobe and, and his daughter uh, Gianna there, uh, that was, I think that picture was not that long ago, they were sitting courtside for an NBA game. Uh, not just a few weeks back, I believe. But this, Kobe Bryant was, was, was 41 years old and, and someone that I'd watched play a lot of basketball through the years. And, and this tragic story has, has spread shockwaves through the culture, right? Through the, through the sports world, but way beyond the sports world as well. And there's been story after story this week, whether you're watching ESPN or you're watching CNN or Fox News or whatever, that's kind of focused on different people, different organizations, different teams, uh, friends, former teammates, uh, family, all finding ways to grieve and finding ways to honor not just uh, Kobe and his daughter, but all nine of these individuals uh, that were killed in this tragic accident. They were, they were flying to one of the girls' basketball games. That's where they were headed. So that's why there were three teammates uh, on board that helicopter. They were flying to a, uh, a game. But I, I know for a lot of you, if I'm, if I'm honest, that while this news was extremely sad to you and you probably thought, wow, that is, that is crushing, it still to you was just likely another news event that you read along with another series of headlines that were also tragic, sad events. And you just kind of kept reading. And, 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 and that's okay, I think, because we are, I've done that, we are engulfed in a horribly tragic and sad news cycle many, many times. And so we have, I mean, any given day, I mean, if I ask you guys to get your phones out and just do a simple news of the day search, I mean, the things we're going to see are, are pretty, pretty harsh. They're pretty negative. And you're going to see, you know, horrible things, things that are uh, both intentionally wrong and also things like this that were complete accidents you see of you hear of missing children and and you hear of physical and and sexual assaults and you hear of just atrocities like human trafficking and 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 murder and I think sometimes the most awe-inspiring for me 
and often the hardest to hear stories in our, in our news are those of law enforcement officers or first responders or, or members of our military that have died in the line of duty serving and protecting the, the culture that we have and the freedoms we have here in America. And, and I think we hear these, these stories so often, especially in a country like America in 2020 that's engaged in, obviously, war, um, both here at home and also, I think, internationally. But we, we, we hear of these things so much that I think we become extremely desensitized to, to the news, to the fact that that is nine people, and that's nine families, and that's nine communities that are all deeply affected. And so we don't, we don't think of these stories in terms of humans or in terms of people. We see them as a news story. And if it doesn't really affect us directly, we just kind of keep scrolling, keep scrolling, keep scrolling. And I, I've done that. And, and honestly, I think we, and that's, uh, I'm a creature of the den- desensitizing that I'm talking about. And so I, I don't want to, by highlighting this accident that occurred last Sunday morning in California, I definitely don't want to elevate any single one person's grief over another um, or the loss of one person over another or make one tragedy more meaningful than another. I think we should never attempt to devalue the sanctity of human life by saying that this tragedy or this accident or this new story is more worthy than another because of who it is or it was, you know, because of where it happened or the circumstances. Every single life is so important. And so that's not my goal is not to elevate this one above any others. They're all equally tragic and they're all equally and eternally meaningful and that's for one reason. That's because they all involve people. And people are the image bearers of God. You go back to Genesis chapter 1. That's what sets people apart from animals and plant life and wonderful buildings and artwork. Is you and I and these individuals and the individuals we read about anywhere in our news stories are the image bearers of God. And that's why these stories are so hard to read sometimes and so hard to wrap our minds around. And so, for me, though, this, this particular accident um, that occurred last Sunday claimed the lives of these nine, it, it stood out in my mind. Uh, and, and likely, yes, because I'm very immersed in the sports world. But understand this, I'm not an L.A. Lakers fan. I've never been a Lakers fan. I'm not even a Kobe Bryant fan. I, I, I love watching him play, but not really a Kobe Bryant fan. But what I am is I'm a basketball fan, and, and so therefore, I didn't realize this growing up. Uh, Kobe and I, I didn't realize about the same age, and so as, as his career progressed, I was almost always in the same stage of life as, as he was. And so now in a world where everything's documented, you can see there. Uh, people's life on and off the playing field or on and off the court. Um, Kobe was, was, was a life that I watched. It was just one that I saw over and over, uh, both on and off, the good and the bad. He, he's just like us, that he wasn't perfect. He had a lot of things that he had made mistakes and, and had to heal from and made some bad decisions, and just like us. It, it, you could see his humanity in a lot of ways. Uh, but I, I didn't realize how much I'd followed his career until last Sunday afternoon when the news started breaking 
uh, and I got an alert on my phone, and I read the headline, and I, I read that headline, and it felt like I'd been punched in the stomach. And I'm like, why, why does it feel like that? And why, why is this upsetting me so much? I, like I said, I'm not a Lakers fan. I'm not a, a Kobe Bryant, you know, super fan. And it, and it just it made me realize that how, how much I had connected with his career through the, through the years. And I think one of the big components for me in this particular story was um, that I related to was Kobe's uh, incredible relationship with his four daughters. If you don't know, he's got four daughters. Uh, Gianna's his second oldest. Uh, one of his, I think the youngest is under a year old. Um, so he leaves behind three daughters and, and his wife. And I think one of, one of the things I connected with was his, especially since he retired in the last couple of years, his devotion to his kids. And I, I've just spent an incredible amount of time this week reflecting on my own priorities in, li- in light of these events that happened in our culture, and specifically my time and my opportunities that I have with, with my two kids, with people in my life, with friends, with the church family, with, with coworkers. And, and really, that's, if you think about it, um, you guys that uh, are old enough now, it seems weird for me to say that, but to remember going back to the events of, of 9-11, I teach classes now, and I mention 9-11, and, then, and these kids look at me like, what? Like, I don't know. I was not born yet. I'm like, oh, yeah, good, okay. So I have to say, if you were old enough to remember that, um, like, like I am, you remember what, on, on the biggest, most massive scale you could ever imagine, you, you take all these tragedies and you multiply them by infinity, and you're like, you don't know how to deal with that. And, and if, you, if you think back to what our nation was like the, the days and the weeks and the months after 9-11, um, that's what people did, right? Is, is these kind of events caused us to step back and analyze what's actually important in our lives versus what we think, what we quote-unquote think is important. And, and so for me this past week, I've learned a lot as I've spent time in reflection, not, not just on this tragedy from last Sunday, but life in general, and especially, and, and I don't think it's ironic, I think, it, I think God has everything together for a purpose. We know His Word tells us that. We don't always know what that purpose is, but I think especially in light of Romans 8. We've been in Romans 8 now for, I don't know, a couple months if you think about the break, and I think that's, that's intentional. And, and so as I've reflected myself on, on my life in, in regards to things in our culture, but also in, in regards to Romans 8. It's, it's been interesting this week for me. Uh, it's been up and down emotionally, um, but it's been insightful from what the Holy Spirit has been able to kind of to lead and guide my heart back to, the, back to the Word and specifically to Romans 8. And so uh, I just want to lay that out as a means of context for where I am uh, this morning, uh, where I've been this week. Um, and, and I realize that I don't expect all of you to be in that same place, but you may have something else going on that's causing you to have similar reflections or, or similar insight, or maybe you're going through a, a tough situation or, or whatever, and, and maybe nobody even knows about it. It may be not something public like that that everybody knows. It might be something very, very private. Either way, I think we all are in seasons that are, are ever-changing, 
And so when we, we go through those changes and we go through those emotions, it's so important. Not that we forget culture and we're not a part of it, but that we remember that the foundation is not the culture. The foundation is the Word. That is God's Word. And that's, that's what I want to look at this morning. In, in light of everything that's happened, in light of your life, my life, let's get into Romans 8. I'm going to read that whole section again because it, it's one thought, basically. But we're only going to focus on the last couple of verses. And so if you want to focus on those first few, go back to last week. Uh, you can hear that, that message online as we did last week. But in Romans 8, let me dive into that. Starting with verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors Through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to continue the same thought we were, we were dealing with last week, and it, and it, because it is one continuous thought, 31 through 39. And uh, the focus this week is going to be, obviously, 34 to 39. But if you look at verse 34, it's a continual thought from verse 33. So let me just go back a second and look just specifically at 33, 34, because this is, again, this is one thought. If we don't have numbers, we would probably... Verse number, we just read this as one. So who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And Paul answers, it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And so last week we talked about the gifts of security and the gifts of sacrifice and the gifts of safety that we have from God through his word, through the gifts that we can see in verses 31 and 33. And, and really, the same theme is there as we keep going in, the, in this passage. And, and what Paul is talking about here, probably as he transitions, I think, 33 into 34, the one component we didn't really talk about last week that you see clearly in these verses is our identity. And it's something that, that we talk about a lot in church, we talk about a lot in culture, is, is, is where do you find your identity? And so one thing that I, that I noticed, even about myself, but just in general, with the tragic accidents of last Sunday, is there are people all over the world, people all over not just L.A. And, and California, not just America, but all over the world, that they identified in some way with, with Kobe Bryant. 
And, and maybe that ident- identifying was a healthy identification maybe or maybe not. Uh, that would be for each indiv- indiv- individual to determine. But we can find our identity in a lot of people and in a lot of places and a lot of things. But what Paul's talking about here is finding our security in our identity because our identity is in Christ. Because, as verse 34 says, he is the one who died for our sin. And then he conquered death by rising from the dead. And then he says, now seated at the right hand of God. He says, interceding for us even now. So I said this last week several times. And I, and I want to start off this morning by, by making the statement again. So I don't, there's not any misunderstanding. As believers in Christ, we are not promised despite what you've heard anywhere else, I can tell you that there is nowhere in God's word that the believer is promised to be spared from the tragedy and the horrific things that happen in this life. All those things I was just telling you about that happen, whether accidental or intentional, there's not a guarantee. And I I, I don't want to be breaking bad news to you if you believe that, but I just want to relay truth, is if you're in Christ, there is not a guarantee you're not going to go through that. Matter of fact, you probably are going to go through that. That's what God's Word says. But we are promised something that the unbeliever is not promised, and that is we are promised victory through those circumstances and through those tragedies and through those harsh realities. And you got to think about that. I mentioned this last week. We like to avoid circumstances that are hard. We like to have uh, smooth sailing and nice wind and nice water and, and, and no, no rough storms on the, on the lake, right, or on the, on the water. And yet what the Bible continually says is, no, you're going to have some storms. Go ahead and buckle up for that. But there's victory through those storms, not around them, not over them, not under them, not praying that God would keep you from them, but very much through the eye of the storm. Through those circumstances is where our identity is sealed in Christ. And if you're not a believer, that doesn't make sense to you because you don't, under, you don't have the ability to understand that, that you're sealed in Christ. And so it, it very much can be a, a confusing thing to you. But I'm speaking to believers this morning because you know what I'm, I'm talking about when I'm saying your identity is in Christ and he's going to see you through those, those circumstances. Specifically looking at verse 34, I was reading this week and, and, just, and last week, and uh, you guys may, may know that I'm a huge John Piper fan. I think what John Piper has said and done in his ministry, Desiring God Ministries, is it's pretty much second to none as far as in our modern-day culture. And John Piper, uh, this was several years back, he pointed out kind of four conclusions that we can draw from verse 34 and he, he expounds on them, and you can read about it online. Go to Desiring God, um, and you can read more about it. But I just thought I'd share with you these, these four quick um, kind of conclusions he draws because they relate to, I like the way he does this, they relate to our personal relationship with Jesus. And so I'm going to share these, these real quick. There's four of them, and this is all about verse 34. Number one, uh, Piper says that we should know him, Jesus, as one who gave his life for you. So I would, I would turn Piper's question around in, I mean, his statement around into a question. Do you know him as one who gave his life for you? Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to serve, and what? 
He came to give his life as a ransom for many. That was his purpose. So point number one or conclusion number one. Number two, he says we should know him as the one who raised from the, who was raised from the dead uh, by uh, the Father or by the Heavenly Father. And so I would, t- again, turn it around into a question. Do you know Jesus as the one raised from the dead by the Father? Verse 34 uses a, a passive form of the verb. And so what he's saying, if you read verse 34, he, he doesn't say Christ rose. He's saying Christ was raised. And there's a slight difference there in that the Father did the work of raising the Son. And, and Piper expounded on that. I love what he says here. I love this quote. He says, the point here in that, that the Father did the raising is that the Father was so satisfied with the once-for-all atoning work of the Son that he vindicated his obedience and his suffering and his infinite accomplishment by raising him from the dead. You never think about that? That the very, vindic- the very vindication by the Father of the Son's work is saying, you know what? What you've done, Son, it's enough. And I'm going to show the world that by raising you from the dead. I mean, if you think about your relationship to your parents or your relationship to someone in your life you look up to, I know you're always striving to get their approval, right? Win their approval. If I can be satisfied by, if I can please my my dad or my mom or my grandfather or my grandmother, that, that would be my goal, right? We all have those things. And, and you know Jesus, the son, was the exact same way. He was 100% human. He was 100% God, okay? And so he wanted nothing more than to please his heavenly father. And what, what vindication to say, you've pleased, you've pleased me, son. I'm raising you from the dead. I, your work on the cross is enough. Your obedience and your suffering and your infinite accomplishment is sufficient. Third thing Piper pointed out, again, that I would turn into a question, is know him, know Jesus, as the one who is at the right hand of God. Y'all are familiar with many verses that say that. First Peter 3.22 says, He who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. So, Jesus doesn't just born, live, die, resurrect, go to heaven, not affiliated with our lives anymore. That's not how it works. I talked about that, that idea in theology now that there is a creator, but not really interested in your life. He's just, he's out there. He loves you, but not really interested in your life. That could not be further from the truth. It says that even, even now he is seated right now at the right hand of God. And, and what that means Piper explains that, is to be at God's right hand is to rule over all authority, all power, and all dominion and angels and names. So Jesus right now is, is ruling, okay? So when he goes to heaven, it's not to kick back, relax, and just enjoy eternity. I mean, eternity in heaven, I, I can't imagine it. We see glimpses of it in Scripture. It, it's got to be amazing. But, but Jesus is, is there to rule, okay? And when you think about a king ruling, there is... That's an active position. That's not a passive like, I'm just going to sit back and let the kingdom, y'all just do whatever, I'm just here. It's, a, it's an active ruling. It's being involved with the people of the kingdom. And then the, that next conclusion, the, the last conclusion Piper makes goes right along with that. It says that we should know him, know Jesus as the intercessor between you or me and God the Father. 
Do you know Jesus as the intercessor between you and God the Father? So take these conclusions, which I think are brilliant, and flip them and make them a question to ask to yourself. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, listen to why, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's talking about right now. That's not in the future. That's not way back in the past. That's right now. He lives, always lives, to make intercession for them. This is huge. Don't, don't miss this. And, and Piper's comments on his conclusion, and this is a great point too. He says, why, why do we say in Jesus' name, amen, right? Why do we, why do we pray in Jesus' name, amen? And, and Piper points this out. It's because we have no rights with the Father apart from what Jesus did on the cross and what he is doing right now for us in heaven. So we know Jesus as our intercessor every time we pray. That is so important. It is so important. I was, um, I can't remember where I was. I was, I was praying with uh, a group of people. Um, it's been a couple weeks ago, uh, maybe a month ago. And um, it, was, it, was a, it was a mixed group of people. We didn't all know each other. And uh, it wasn't in a church. It, I don't remember where it was. Anyway, um, whoever was praying, they, they ended their prayer. And they said, in Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. And... I remember one of the, the gentlemen that I, I didn't know, he, he, he after, after the, the amen was said, he said, he said, you said it, in Jesus' name. He said, man, I love to hear those words. In Jesus' name, amen. Because see, that man who I'd never met, he understood what Piper's saying here, is that when you pray, you only have the right, and you only have the ability to pray to the Father because of what Jesus did on the cross. And it's only through Jesus that we even have the ability to pray. And so Piper says, I think we get into a habit. Like we just, we just you know, we're, we're saying our, our blessing over our meal. And in Jesus' name, amen. Think about what you're doing. That is intercession. He is interceding so that we have rights to the Father because of what he did on the cross and what he's doing for us now in heaven. It's very, very crucial we understand his role as intercessor. I want you to go with me to the next two verses in Romans 8, 35 and 36. Powerful verses here. Says, Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribula- tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And, and if you're like me, verse 36 kind of like, all right, that kind of sticks out, kind of weird. What is that? Doesn't really fit. It, I mean, I understand the point here, what Paul's making, but where does that come from? So if you have a study Bible, you have any notes, you probably know that verse 36 is a direct, specific reference to Psalm 44, verse 22. What Psalm 44 is, if you go back and read that and you read the context of Psalm 44, it's a, it's a song is really what it is. And it's a, it's a song of of deep sadness, of Israel in some very dark days where they felt that God had abandoned them because of their sin. They felt like they weren't hearing from God, and they felt alone and isolated away from God. And so a part of that, that song of, uh, I guess you would say, isolation and depression and, and being 
feeling alone, especially from, from God, is in, in verse 22 is what Paul quotes here. And, and it's literally what, what you read in, in verse 36. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. And what that meant was, at Israel at that point, uh, all the, their surrounding nations, all their enemies, had surrounded them. And they did not like them. They wanted to kill them. They wanted to conquer them. They wanted to enslave them. And so when they say, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long, is, it's this understanding that, they, that death and being conquered were, were imminent because every nation around them was more powerful, bigger military, and they were angry. And they, and they knew that, God, we're not hearing from you. And all the day long, all the day long, we wait for our death or for our uh, enslavement or, or, or whatever it might be. And, and so that's, that's the context that Paul brings out of Psalm 44. But what Paul does is he takes this verse and he makes a general application. So understand that there's a context on the original verse, okay, and then Paul makes an application, not an interpretation, but an application of that verse. And where he talks about here, the application to all Christians, including himself, including us, including the persecution and martyrdom that is part of now and part of then, what it meant to follow Jesus. Um, you guys may not see it. I may not see it right now in the United States. But I guarantee you right now in the world today, it is felt. I was reading the latest statistics and they vary depending on what site and what resource you use. But there's somewhere an estimate between 100 and 150,000 Christians per year that are killed because of their faith in Jesus. It's a lot of people. 100 to 150,000 Christians that are killed per year. I think that was up through like 2016 or something. Um, for the name of Jesus. I think that number is continuing to rise. So martyrdom and facing persecution, that's, that's part of what you sign up for when you follow Jesus. Now, I know that seems crazy because we don't see it in America, right? Or, or at least we don't see it on these large scales uh, that we see in the world. And so what Paul is saying here in verse 35 is that, hey, you're going to face tribulation. You're going to face distress and persecution and famine and nakedness. And, 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 and when he says sword, he means death. You're going to face those. And yet, none of those things that you're going to face have the power to separate you from the love of Christ. Again, go back to what I said earlier. We don't get spared from those things. We get victory through those things. That's exactly what Paul's saying. So when we, when we watch the news and we hear of the, the tragedies, like I've talked about from last week and, and going back decades, the tragedies that we, we all know about, or even when we experience great personal loss, we experience great challenges, great storms in our own lives, what Paul is saying is, yeah, that's part of life. There's no magic bubble that where you can go to escape those things. But here's the good news, is know and trust that these things, whatever they are, whatever the news story is, whatever the situation is in your life, they have very limited, temporary, very temporary power and they have absolutely no power to separate you from Christ. Because in the middle of the storm, it seems like you're alone, right? It seems like you're isolated. That's the way Israel felt when, when this was written. They felt isolated. And they said all the day long, all the day long, we're waiting to be 
like sheep to be slaughtered. Some of y'all can relate to that, right? Some of y'all felt that. Some of y'all been through that. You might be going through that right now. But what Paul is saying is, you got to know that's part of it. It's part of it. Don't be surprised. But here's the deal. Has absolutely no power to separate you from the love of Christ. And then he follows that up with verse 37, which is, you want a life verse. Verse 37 is another awesome one. He says, no, 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 no. I love how he starts that. No, in all these things, in all these things. Okay, what are these things? The persecution, the famine, the nakedness, the sword, the death. In all these things, none of those are good. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And you talk about Paul connecting dots here. This, this scripture is amazing. He is walking us step by step by step to understanding what the gospel is and how, what it means for our life. And so what he's making here is this bold statement that not only are we, when we're in Christ, going to conquer those temporary afflictions, because that's what they are, they're temporary afflictions, but we also, in Christ, are going to do even more than that. We're going to do even more than conquerors. John Piper, he, I like the way he describes it. He says, a conqueror strikes down his foe. Awesome. But he says, one who is more than a conqueror makes his foe his slave. We're talking about more than conquering. Pastor J.D. Greer, he summed it up like this, and I want to read this description to you. This is great. He said, God not only delivers us from our suffering, but he makes our pain and suffering, look at these next three words, serve his purposes. Okay, so he said, not only does he deliver us from our suffering, it's going to be temporary on this side of heaven, okay, but he makes our pain and our suffering serve his purposes. And then he says, and realize that sometimes God gives us this kind of pain so that we can put the excellencies of God on display for someone else to see. Because often the only way people can see the glories and the excellencies of God is to see them through the hope you possess in his promises in the midst of the tragedies of your life. That's very well put. So what he said is, in Christ, you're more than conquerors. Your life will be a display and a demonstration to others of God's incredible glory. And it's not because you're being spared from the storm. It's because you're in the storm. It's because you've came through the storm. The storm is the blessing. A lot of times we don't think of it that way. Finally, Paul closes chapter 8 with a resounding summary statement based on everything he said up to this point in his letter to the the Romans, specifically a summary statement for chapter 8. And it's in these last two two verses, 38, 39. He says, For I am sure, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you, if you find yourself this morning, you're facing something that's tough circumstances, you're going through a storm, you're coming out of a storm. I've always heard it said, if, you, if you're not in a storm, you're getting ready to come up on one, Right? And maybe 
you're just coming out of one, so you're going to get a break, but another one's going to come. That's kind of the way life is. We're not spared from that. But if, if, if that's you, I would just ask you, take some time, sit down with your Bible, and let God's Word soak over your heart with those two verses. Read those two verses over and over. Memorize those two verses. Write down those two verses. Carry them with you. Have it in your wallet. Have it in your purse. Have it somewhere where you know. And let the Word of God seep and seep into your soul and seek out your heart. There is so much power in those two verses. And it's overwhelming power because the love of God described in those verses is literally incomprehensible. Tons and tons of power. One thing to note there, and I'm not smart enough to, to note this, maybe in, a, in some life I'll be able to, but um, a lot of you have probably noticed this. Did you notice in that list what was the very first thing that Paul listed? He says, for I'm sure that neither death nor life. What was the very first thing he listed? Death. Is death is the first in the list. Why is death first? Because death separates us from so much of what we know on earth. It is the most urgent threat. And so immediately Paul says, death cannot separate us from God's love. And then Piper says, in fact, death does just the opposite. It increases nearness and fellowship with Christ. Piper made that observation, and he cited two references that are that are so so good if you look back to what paul's words in philippians chapter 1 verse 30 23 paul says i'm hard pressed he's like i'm conflicted is what he's saying between the two what are the two my desire is to depart and be with christ my desire is to be in eternity he says why for that is far better he said i'm, I'm hard pressed and he said i, I, I want to be here i want to minister i want to love on the people i want to do the things here but I, I just want to be with Christ because that's better. And then he says it's something similar that you've probably heard of before in 2 Corinthians 5.8. He says, yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Hey, Paul didn't mince his words. He didn't change his opinion. Like He was always like, yeah, I'm about this ministry, but really what I'm about is eternity. Really where I want to be is with Jesus. And so, yeah, I'm, I got courage to face persecution. But understand this, I would rather be away from this body because that would mean I'm at home with the Lord. And I love Piper's summary on that. He said, it, death, is not separation the way we think of it. It's actually homecoming. It's not separation, it's homecoming. And the rest of the thing Paul lists after death in those two closing verses of chapter 8 Think about all those things. Just glance over those things. They're big things. They're challenging things. They're scary things. There's unknown things. You know, one thing that scares me the most is unknown. You tell me the situation I'm going to go into, no matter how bad it is, eventually I can muster up the courage probably, okay, I, can, I know what I'm going to face. Let's just do it, right? And most of y'all are like that. You, you can muster that courage. But when I tell you, no, you're going to go and you're not going to know, that's a different story altogether, right? And we see all the time in Scripture 
where God is telling us to go, and he's telling people in the Bible to go, but he's not telling them where. He's not even telling them who to go with and not necessarily what, what to bring. And so we see that in these verses. There's so many challenges, so many scary things, so many unknown things. And, oh, by the way, just in case Paul missed something, I love that blanket statement. You're, I don't know if this is just like Paul just saying, I don't, I'm not sure if I don't want to forget anybody here, but in verse 39 it says, nor anything else in all creation. So that's everything. So if, just in case I missed yours, anything in all creation. And he says, in other words, death, number one, and anything and everything else you could ever imagine, even if Paul didn't include it on this list, cannot and will not separate us from the love of Christ Jesus through God the Father. See, that's the power and the security of our identity in Jesus. Cannot be separated. That's the difference. And this truth literally changes everything for us as believers in Christ. So so whatever it is you're facing this morning, I can tell you in verses 38 and 39 that Paul included it. Because he says, for all things and all creation. So that includes you, that includes me. He didn't miss it. God didn't just overlook it. God knows. And the ultimate truth is that none of it has the power to separate us from the love of Christ. And so going back to where I started this morning, that means when on a Sunday afternoon, like last Sunday afternoon, I look at my phone and I read the words that seem impossible to be true in my mind, words that relay news that someone in the prime of their life, someone that is the very best at their craft in the entire world, someone that in many people's minds, probably including mine, seemed absolutely indestructible, had passed from life to death, even when I read stuff like that, that we can know and rest that nothing, nothing, not even those headlines, not even the tragedies, not even the realities of this life can separate us from the love of Christ. And so, so what this past week's events have really triggered for me and reminded me of in light of these verses in a very precise way, and I'm speaking to believers here, is just because you've been given the gift of eternal life in Christ that is yours in Christ, and that's awesome. Hallelujah for that. That does not mean, though, that we need to neglect the time and the moments that we have right now on this earth with each other and with God. The application of this truth is very well said in the article that I read this week, not related to Romans, not related to the Kobe Bryant story, just completely separate. And I want to close with, with this application because this is, this is where I've landed this week in light of the culture, in light of the, 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 the scripture here. And the, 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 the title of the article comes from a website called Bible.org. And the title of the article, you can look it up. The whole article's great. I wish I had time to go into the whole thing. Um, and I really appreciate my brother, Trevor Brady, forwarding me this uh, link. But it's, it's called Tyranny of the Urgent. And it's by Charles Hummel, Charles E. Hummel. And in, in that article, Hummel quotes, uh, he, he doesn't name the guy he quotes. It's a, he calls him an experienced cotton mill manager. And what he says to Hummel is, your greatest danger is letting the urgent things crowd out the important. And I would say to you this morning, your greatest danger, and Thad, your greatest danger, is letting the urgent things crowd out the important. 
And then Hummel goes on to say himself in the article that we live in constant tension between the urgent and the important. Y'all see what he's saying there? Let, let, me, let me just challenge you with, with in, in light of the things I've shared with you this morning, light of Romans 8, in light of the culture that demands so much of us that we would live in every moment with the assurance and the peace that comes from the truth of Scripture, that we would live in every moment with our identity secured in Christ because there will never be separation between us and Christ. And that would allow us to shape and mold our priorities. And this is going to be hard for some of you to hear and it's hard for me to hear, but to stop letting the quote-unquote urgent demands of this life, of your job, of your family, of your fill-in-the-blank, we have all these urgent demands, right? Everybody right now, you probably got a list. I know I got a list sitting on my desk at work. Things I got to get done by such and such time. The urgent demands of this life, stop letting those crowd out the important things and the important people that God's given to you in this moment, in this life right now. And so as I've reflected on this week, especially in this article, is to, is to cherish every moment that we have right here and right now and yet, while doing that, live with the same perspective that Paul had. He said, you know what? I'd rather be away from my body. I'd rather be, I'd, yeah, to be away is better. To be in heaven's where I want to be. Live with that perspective, but also living in the moment. Because knowing that nothing, not even death, very specifically not even death, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Powerful, powerful words in Romans 8. As we do on the first Sunday of each month, today is the first Sunday, I think. This week's been a whirlwind. I think it's the first Sunday. Um, we're going to close by celebrating communion. And uh, I just wanted to read to you just a real quick passage. And I think it's so important that we know what we're doing and why we do it. In Luke chapter 20, uh, chapter 22, verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, talking about Jesus. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The reason we celebrate communion is the reason we read Romans chapter 8. It's the reason that we base our foundation and our identity in Christ. None of it would be possible 
without Jesus himself willing to go, suffer, and die for us. And not only die, but be resurrected as we talked about earlier this morning. So as we celebrate communion today, it might be a time of reflection for you. It might be just a time of prayer. Maybe it's a prayer for somebody else. It might not be for you. Maybe a time of celebration. Maybe a time of thanksgiving and, and praise. But, but, but do this, because this is what, what Jesus instructed, that when you do this, that you do this in remembrance, in remembrance of me. And I don't know anywhere else in Scripture that more lays out the gospel better than Romans 8. And so what we've talked about these last couple of months, and especially today, is kind of a, as we start a new month, it's kind of a nice way to, to finish in, in, in Romans 8. And so here at Connect Church, um, we, we do things pretty simple. We pass out the bread, and we pass out the juice together, and you take those if you're wanting to participate we ask that if you're a believer in Jesus, you are welcome to participate. Uh, if you're not yet a believer, you're not certain, we ask that you refrain. We believe that the communion is, is for the believers in, in Christ. Um, you do not have to be a member of this church, just a member of God's church, of the kingdom to partake. And uh, Parents, if you have younger ones here, we would just ask that you make the decision for them if they're going to partake or not. That's, we leave that to you. And so we just pass the elements out, and you take the elements, and you spend that rest of that time in prayer. And whenever you feel comfortable or feel led, you can, as Jesus instructed his disciples that night, take and eat, take and drink. And uh, after a little bit of time, uh, the band will come up, and, and, and they'll close us out. Let me pray, and uh, then we'll, we'll, we'll deliver these things to you, and then allow you some time to be alone with the Lord. Lord, uh, we come before you now, and we just want to um, humble our hearts, humble our minds as we prepare to take communion in remembrance of you. First of all, we thank you for your body that you gave to be bru bruised and beaten and battered and split open for us, for, for, for my sin. And thank you for that sacrifice. And Lord, thank you, secondly, for the blood that was spilled. How precious and how sweet is that blood. In that blood we find everything. We find redemption. We find salvation. We find forgiveness of our sins. We find what love is. You showed us. Thank you for showing us. Thank you for conquering death. Thank you that your death is not something we, we look back on with sadness, but we look back on with, with, with rejoicing because it made eternity in heaven with you possible. It made the forgiveness of sin possible and because you didn't stay dead. Three days you rose again, raised by your Father. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you. And Lord, as we spend time with you now as individuals, uh, I pray that you would focus our hearts and our minds not only to what we're physically doing by, by taking communion, but, but spiritually what our hearts are enduring and going through as we take uh, communion, as we, we partake of this, uh, the sacrament that you've given to us for a specific reason, 
and that is to do so in remembrance of you. And we ask all these things in your name, Jesus' name, amen.